The Start On Demand. On demand. A group fighting public health restrictions in court has admitted it hired a private investigator to follow the Manitoba judge hearing the case. What's your take on this? Today, we spoke to a lawyer and former Deputy Attorney General to find out why we should care. When it comes to the next round of loosened restrictions, one of the things that you want to see the most is bumped up attendance levels for weddings. And today, we spoke to a Winnipeg man who is hoping to get married in August and is hoping that the new wave of loosened restrictions will allow him to have more guests so he can marry the love of his life. And we had lots of fun talking about times your car failed you. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, July 13th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. You know, I, uh, I, I, every Tuesday, I, I'm determined to come in upbeat, optimistic. You know, we always joke about how Tuesday sucks. It's worse than Monday. But I am, I am a grumpy bear today, okay? So I'm just going to apologize right now. I am grumpy. I hate my car. And, um, yeah. So. It's always next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I go golfing yesterday, St. Pierre Jolie, golf course called Maplewood, formerly known as Rat River, for those who might remember that name. It's uh, south of the city off Highway 59. It's about a 45-minute ride from Osborne Village. We nice play course. There. Yeah, it's fun. I, I had a great time with my friends, and, uh, you know, we finish the round. Everybody says their goodbyes. I run into the clubhouse for a second. I come back out. Everybody's gone. I get in my car. Dead. Just dead. Like nothing. Like nothing? Nothing. Just like a, the slightest flicker on the on the <laughs> of the the needle was just kind of moving but like I I couldn't even unlock the doors with my fob. Oh. Like that's how dead this car is. I have that's no awesome. idea why. Uh why the battery suddenly Friends are died. all gone. Yeah. So I had to call CAA and uh I sat there for an hour and a half waiting for a boost. So I mean I went and got a sandwich and had a drink, but uh, yeah. So you made the most of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I relaxed, but <laughs> I uh, I got the I got the car home, but the ride home was stressful because all everything, all of the digital controls are flickering on and off as I'm dri- oh, as I'm driving Lord. up the. So I know that I, I knew that if this car stops. It's dead oh. again. So even You're like on borrowed time, <laughs> like a, like the a little engine that I think it can. I think it can. Come on, buddy. I think it can. We're almost there. Like just every, please take me home. Every time we, I'm at a red light, I had to put the car in a park and just rev it up. And uh, as soon as I got home, turned it off, and then I just thought, I'm just going to see what happens when I turn the key. Nothing. So oh my word. <laughs> so I got home just on the skin of my teeth, but I need uh, I got to deal with that battery today. So that's what I look. That's what I have to look forward to today. Well, hopefully that's all it is. I I know. I want to say you you have, you've got an alternator issue. Uh, oh my word! That's what Cam well done, said. 
That's what yeah. Cam suggested to because me. Because if it's not turning over, but it held the charge until you got, I just feel like there's something else going on. Well, the charging system is faulty. Something's yeah. not working. Well, there is precedent here because this has happened to me before. I don't know, Greg. I think you you probably remember when uh, this well, back remember. at Polar Park. I think you you did you give me a boost. I did, and I tried to take your battery out for you. We were going to, as opposed, we were going to take you across to Canadian Tire, and I think we had to try and. It was really cumbersome process. I think there was a headlight involved, and had to. Oh, it was just a mess. And and finally, I, I just unfortunately you had gave to go. Up. Yeah, yep. you had to go. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Cool. I, was... I, I've done all I can. I've broken everything I can break <laughs> to this point in my attempt to help you. You're just going to have to get a professional now. Yeah. So yes, I remember it well. Well, and that was polar vortex. So that was the polar vortex winter. Uh, so they, but so eventually CAA came to my place after I think I had it boosted like three times over the course of a week, and they finally just replaced the battery. So and it's been fine ever since. So hopefully that's all it is. If it turns out to be something more expensive, I feel like I might just push that car off of a cliff. So find a cliff in these parts. <laughs> Garbage hill. <laughs> Push it up the hill and then down the other side. Require <laughs> a lot of effort to get this car to go over the edge of anything in this province. You're going, you're going the distance here. So at 6:45, we're going to talk more about that, and we want you to text us about a time that your automobile failed you. Tell us about a time your car failed you, uh, for a chance to win a twenty dollars gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. Also, this half hour at 6:37. Uh, I have the song "Private Eyes" in my head by uh, was it Hall and Oates? G Mac, is that who does yeah, that? Yeah, all the notes, baby. Yeah, some chicanery. Yeah. She, 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 I saw you put that in the rundown. Chicanery, chicanery. I was, gonna, I don't want to sidetrack us. Whatever you want to call it, this is the story that had so many people go yesterday saying what. So of course we've had this constitutional challenge in court with this group uh, representing several churches and a few individuals saying, you know, these public health orders are not constitutional. But we learned yesterday the lawyer in charge of this group, that's the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, they've admitted that, uh, yeah, we hired a private eye, a PI, a private investigator, to follow a Manitoba judge, the judge that was sitting on this case. And it's the judge that disclosed this first and said, I trust, you know, in a statement that this nobody because I haven't heard from either side that it's nobody in this courtroom. And then later, I guess, the Center for Constitutional Freedoms said, yeah, that was us. <laughs> and uh, they've, been they've been following him to his home, Greg, um, to other parts. You know, there was, I think there was a parkade situation where he was in the, going to his car and he realized he might be being followed. And I just it's crazy the lengths that, the, that I guess they were willing to go to to try to catch him, catch him not following mm -hmm. the public health orders. And then, of course, we then learned that Dr. Brent Rusin has had all sorts of threats made against him. And so I just the the the, the divisiveness that this has caused. But I, it's, it's got people outraged. Yeah, Dr. Or Dr. Justice Joyal saying that uh, even a young person came to his home to try and uh, verify if this was his home and uh the Justice Center saying, well, you know, actually, <laughs> Justice Joyelle was mistakenly put on a list. So Justice Joyelle isn't the only one that they've been following. There's a long list of lawmakers and politicians that they've been following to find out if they are following the the public health measures that they're putting in place. This was their justification. And, and they said that Justice Joyelle... Getting on that list was a mistake. Right. Something that they shouldn't have done. Who else is on that list? 
Well, they didn't. They didn't admit to any other names on that list. They just admitted that there was a list, and there are other people that they are keeping a very close eye on, as we'll hear in Brittany Greenslade's story a little bit later. And then, of course, the the revelation that that Doctor Rusin has been uh, also been the victim of some harassment uh, at his home, and including one incident where he wasn't home, but his family was. So that's incredibly disturbing. I think we've heard some rumblings about this unofficially over the last several months, but for Dr. Rusin to come out and say publicly the yes, and confirm that this has been happening. This is, this is, uh, this is sort of sickening is the word that, that came up for me. Well, he's mentioned harassment. I don't know if we've known about it being at people's homes. Like that's where you're really crossing the line. Leave people's of families course. out of it, right? Leave them out of it. We're going to have more on this coming up at 637. Now I'm fired up. You got an alternator issue. I'm sure of it. I'm angry about private investigators. What can we get Greg fired up on? Steep tea? Not warm enough today? How is a steep tea, Greg? It's cold. Okay. It is cold. Yep. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, if you are just tuning in at the beginning of the show, I lamented on how my car died on me yesterday. It was sitting in the parking lot at the golf course out in St. Pierre-Jolie. All my buddies had just left, and I tried to start my car, and nothing. It just would not start. I couldn't even unlock the doors from the outside with the key fob. And uh, you might, I actually, even as now that I think of it, I, I couldn't even pull the key out of the ignition for a while. I really had to work at it to get the, it was like a, I was able to turn it, but then it wouldn't completely turn back. So it was frustrating. Had to wait an hour and a half for a tow truck to come out and give me a boost. Got home, but the car sits dead in my parkade. So we want to hear a story from you on a time that your car failed you. The worst time your car failed, and it could, doesn't have to be a battery issue. It could be overheating. I don't know. Maybe a wheel fell off. Whatever. 204-780-6868. Mr. Cam Poitras, let's start with you, sir. Well, it wasn't so much that my car failed me as I failed my car. <laughs> uh, it was the, my first vehicle, me and my twin brother. We shared uh, the green John Snow. I think I've talked about it before. Um, <laughs> the green John Snow? Well, yeah. It's what was John Snow? Nothing. Well, he was a crow. It was a B word that I can't say oh. on air. Yes, so that's what we used to call it, um, which was a character from Trailer Park Boys. It was um, uh, Bubbles uh, Wrestling. So, anyways, we, me and my brother, did not k- take care of this car at all. We got it from my mom. It was a 1997 Dodge Caravan, yeah. and uh, we just we we wrecked this thing. Like it was totally our fault. And so, anyways, my dad took it. He's like, "Oh, I'll go gas the 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 van up for you." I said, "Okay, Dad, keys are." Uh, over there, and uh, the the brakes were just completely shot. And we, we, me and my brother, we were practicing. We would just like really go slow because the brakes were not working at all. So my dad tries to go, th- uh, goes to a stop sign, hits the brakes. He goes right through it, um, and uh, then he comes home and he goes, "You're not driving that car anymore. I'm not giving you your keys back. That car is shot. You're never driving it again." <laughs> and I never got to say goodbye. <laughs> uh, Mackling, what about you? Uh, well, I guess it was the great adventure of February 1989 when my buddy Harry and I decided we were going to drive to Panorama for one day of skiing. A bunch of buddies of ours uh, were there for the week and we thought, oh, we'll go and surprise them and we'll have one day of skiing, turn around and get back. We'd promised our respective girlfriends we'd be back home in time for Valentine's Day. So we were on a very, very tight schedule. We got to Medicine Hat, Hat, Alberta, and it was nine degrees. They were having a Chinook, and in Calgary, it was 
minus 35. Oh, boy. And so we drove through a snowstorm from Brooks, Alberta to Calgary. It took about four hours to get what should normally take you. Uh, well, no, it wasn't even Brooks. I think it was even closer than that. Long story short, in the midst of this snowstorm, zero visibility. This light and warning signal comes on from the dash. <laughs> in a snowstorm going 30 kilometers per hour maximum for about three and a half hours <laughs> it was absolutely the worst driving experience of my life i'm just happy that i'm still here to speak with you this morning because we very well could have bit the dust on that uh, wow. short jaunt uh, in southern Alberta all those years ago. And that reminds me, last night after I turned the car off and tried to start it again, uh, when I my the, the horn just started honking at random. I was able to turn that <laughs> off, but uh, yeah, the, my car has gone haywire <laughs> on me. So if anybody listening has any ideas on that, 204-780-6868. You live close to the river, don't you, Brett? Uh, yeah, you can just push the car down the river. Neutral. <laughs> you need a cinder block? <laughs> Skylar Peters, what about you? Uh, you know what? I was actually just thinking, I've had like pretty good luck with cars so far. I think I'm on my fourth vehicle and they've all treated me pretty well, but you just reminded me of something. I had like a one week stretch when I uh, first got my GMC Jimmy uh, in high school where anytime I connected the battery with the, at the positive post, there was something wrong with the um, the remote start and the car alarm would go off like anytime the the battery was plugged in so i i had like a two-week stretch where i just couldn't drive the thing obviously because people would have thought i stole it so (laughs) i don't know uh what ended up happening but i worked at precision toyota at the time in brandon and uh, i was just washing cars i I had no idea how to actually fix it but uh one of the mechanics there (laughs) did for me but that was a that was a tough stretch because i had to drive it down to the dealership and uh, that was a, a loud and, and sh- thankfully short drive. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. And uh, Loren? I almost don't even want to speak because I'm worried <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going to jinx myself because we are planning a trip out west uh, next week or in the weeks ahead. And we're driving and that's the plan. So the car's going in today because it needs some work. There's a shimmy that I've caused in it. And so I, I don't even want to talk because our last trip out West was with our old Kia Sorento, which I killed via a deer. <laughs> but prior to that, I, we had driven all the way to Edmonton and from the road from Calgary to Edmonton after visiting my brother in Calgary, the engine starts making this weird noise. And we had already received this note from Kia saying, you know, some of the engines are being recalled because of A, B or C. But before we went on this trip, we asked, we called the dealership said, what should we be watching for? What are you? What are the signs? And we went through a bunch of things, and they said, "No, you sound like you're fine. You're past the date where you should be worried." Well, sure enough, like, is it Red Deer that's kind of in between the two cities? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm coming over the we're coming over the hill in Red Deer, and all of a sudden it just starts making this knock, like, like a, you know, knocking noise. And you're like, here it goes. And so you're doing the whole thing up the hill to Edmonton, like, please, 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 just make it to the hotel. Just make it to the hotel. The kids are so excited. We're going to Edmonton Mall. The car made so much noise that when we pulled up to the hotel, my brother-in-law is at the window with a look of horror on his face because he could hear us coming down the street. That's how loud it got. Anyway, engine had to be, the entire thing went, like the entire thing. And then the whole holidays ruined because we're waiting to hear from Kia, like, are they going to cover the cost 
of this because of this recall? Or are we going to be on the hook for thousands, like thousands, like a whole engine replacement? And uh, in the end, they did cover it, but it was like just four days of stress waiting to find out if. Uh, God, I'm sorry. I just told this story. We're going on a trip next week, guys. I feel like this is it. Oh, I'm going to be calling. I'm going to curse you. I'm going to call you. What is the phrase, Cam? The what? green jack giant. Jon Snow. The B John, word. Yes. You're going to be getting a B. Green, Brett, the green B word. Brett's going to get the green B word for even starting this in about oh. 10 days' time. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a, I'll take the heat. I'll take it the had great break. The, the, the brakes would squeal, too. It'd be like, it, it, like every, it would announce. Oh, the, the belt would squeal, too. It would announce wherever you were going, so. You can sneak up on anybody. Producer Jeff, you got a story about a time your car failed you? Yeah, well, my old car, my little Cobalt, it started acting up. I was at the gas station one time, filling up with gas, and I go inside to pay, and all of a sudden I hear an alarm going off, and it's my car. My car is honking away. I'm going, that's weird. And the, the horn sounded a little faint. Uh, so the next day I'm driving it, and then it totally died on me while I was driving it. So I actually had to go through a stop sign and uh, park on, on a side street. My dad came and uh, boosted the car, and we took it in to get a look at, and I got a loader car. So I take that to work, and after my shift, I come out, try starting the loader car, and it's dead. <laughs> so I got a double whammy there. Double. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, it turned out that uh, my uh, alternator belt was broken, and, it, you know, it sounds like you're having the same issue. So I think that's probably what it is, the alternator Oh, okay. <laughs> He's going with the alternator it's the belt. Alternator. <laughs> it's like uh, Sid Maduke's uh, Garage here, the show that was on CJOB for years and years. Sid Manuk was unbelievable. You would phone in, you say, I have a 1967 Mercury Capri. Uh, it's doing a tick, 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 click, click, click thing. Uh, what do you think's wrong? Ah, the Sid would say, Ah, that's your uh, four meter uh, 3000 uh, part there. <laughs> Just bring it down and uh, we can fix it or you can do it yourself. All you got to do is uh, jack it up and get under there. Take you a couple of hours. Do it all over the phone. It was unbelievable. I like how we all think we know. It reminds me just last week or within the last two weeks, we went to a beach near our house and we come back out to the car and there's this these two guys next to us with their hood up and I lean in like as if I can help. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? I like take a bottle of water out to them. I was like, do you need water? Like, do you think it's a radiator? And my husband's looking at me. He's like, what were you going to do with the water? I was like, I don't know, man. I just felt like, just felt like I could provide some real insight to their car situation. <laughs> Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And this morning, we will meet the man who will quite literally have the game on his shoulders at least a couple of times this season. Yeah, and it's possible he might get tired of hearing about the guy he is replacing. However, Justin Medlock really was one of the best kickers in the history of the CFL. He had a tremendous impact on the success of the Blue Bombers. And of course... The success of the Blue Bombers in that 2019 Grey Cup game where Medlock kicked six field goals goals on the way to the win. And he was methodical, I think we can say, Greg. He was instrumental in ushering really this new era of success for our team. Yeah, he was signed the same year as Andrew Harris and really was a critical part in changing the culture in Winnipeg. Justin Medlock isn't the only great kicker in modern history for the Blue Bombers. Troy Westwood was pretty good. Trevor Kennard was a big part of this franchise's success in the 80s and 90s. And Bob Cameron 
punted the ball over 3,000 times in his 23 seasons with the Blue Bombers. People have been talking about big shoes to fill. It isn't an exaggeration. There's a new kicker in town, and his name is very apropos, our word of the day, Mark Legio. Good morning, Mark. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on today. We appreciate you joining us so early in the morning. It's uh, it's great to meet you, and uh, welcome to Winnipeg. Let's start with football overall, and please don't take this the wrong way, Mark. Uh, maybe get our, uh, our relationship off on the wrong foot here but the first thing i noticed about you is that you look like an athlete you look like a football player when did you start playing football and what drew you to kicking so i actually started football in about my uh in grade 10 in high school i was a big soccer player and then i gradually moved into rugby in grade nine and i played hockey as well um going into grade 10 one of my friends uh my friend's dad came up to me while he saw me on the rugby field i was kicking the extra points for the team as well and uh, he's like, why don't you come out and play football? I'm like, oh, I don't think I could play football. I'm not, I'm not like the six-foot guy. I'm not big enough to play football. But they're like, you know what, uh, go out and kick for us and then try any position you want. So I went out, did, uh, did the kicking job, played quarterback, DB, receiver, tried all the positions. And then I just found that my strong suit wasn't kicking with uh, the power in my right leg. <laughs> did you know you had that power prior to that? I mean, how does one realize suddenly, like, oh, look how far I can kick this ball? I, I was always known to have a pretty good shot in soccer, so I was the free kick taker, and the team always knew that I had a pretty good power build up behind the ball. So I think it just transferred really well into football. And as I gradually worked on the skill as the years went on, um, I really learned how to use that power and that skill to be accurate in kicking the football. Well, speaking of the other kind of football, you mentioned soccer there. So you perhaps watched the Euro Cup final the other day, and we were talking, of course, about how it ended in penalty kicks and that's so much pressure on both the person trying to score and then, of course, the goalkeeper. You've likely been there before having that game on your shoulders. Could you relate to the pressure of those penalty kicks on Sunday? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a feeling to be in that situation. You know, all eyes are on you. And if you're a big name in the sport, and I know a couple of the guys – uh that are bigger in the sport of soccer. They didn't do too well in the penalty shootouts, but you know what? It's, it's such a hard thing. Like it takes that skill itself to possess is such a key component of the game that people don't really take, uh, they take for granted. And when it comes down to it, it's like, it's just like any shot, any field goal, you just do your thing. Don't worry about what's around you and just think about putting the ball in the place in the net. We'd like to get to know our new Blue Bombers a little bit off the field. Uh, so one of our go-to questions has to do with the all-important topic of sandwiches, Mark. So what is your go-to sandwich? My go-to sandwich? Wow, I haven't gotten that question very frequently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my go-to sandwich, I would have to say, is a nice uh, Italian prosciutto salami and provolone cheese. Whoa! <laughs> that GMAC, that's I think that might be the fanciest one yet. I would agree with that, uh, Brett. And so that puts you in a category all by yourself, Mark. So we appreciate that. That's a little bit of the Italian heritage showing up there. Do we have to have the Italian bread or or or, or dare we have French bread? Like, how are we building this thing? Uh, usually, I like a nice uh, fresh baguette, like uh, nice middle. I'm not a I'm not the end of the bread kind of person. I like the middle, nice and soft and. When it comes fresh out of the oven, I like when it's nice and warm. Wow. 
Okay, so there is a method here. So you just haven't been asked this very incredible question <laughs> that, 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 that created incredible answers. So we appreciate it, Mark. Hey, before we no let problem. you run here, anything unusual about the shoes you wear? Two different shoes, sometimes kickers employ. They, they wear a different uh, type of cleat on their kicking foot or maybe even a shoe that's a couple sizes smaller than their everyday shoe. Anything unusual or any superstitions? Um, nothing on my end. I've always been a soccer guy, so I've always stuck with my soccer cleats. Obviously, I know the soccer cleats come in a bunch of fancy colors, like a flash hot pink or like a highlighter yellow. So I try and go for the generic white and black, but it's so hard to find. So I kind of uh, put up my own color twist in the shoe to match the team that I play for the best as possible. And I've always been two soccer shoes. I know a lot of guys like wearing a football cleat on their plant foot and a soccer cleat on the other foot, but I like the tightness feel of soccer cleats on both shoes, and I like feeling even on both sides. Mark Leggio joining us live on 680 CJOB, new kicker for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mark, thank you very much. Uh, Pleasure to meet you, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. And once again, Breakfast with the Bombers is brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. A better place for you. For breakfast, I'd like to have that sandwich now. No kidding. That sounded really good. Like, I like the creativity. Not not a knock against the classic PB&J. We got that, I think, the most from Mm -hmm. the Bombers. But that sandwich sounds delicious. And the the insistence of having that center piece of the baguette versus (laughs) the end. It tells me Mark has been thinking about this and, and puts more thought into this than, than maybe he cared to admit. So a pretty good start. Hopefully we'll have Mark on Breakfast with the Bombers lots of times, several times over the next several years as he gets comfortable in his position with, with the blue and gold. we got to get we him in a, studio, Loren, and get him to bring yeah, sandwiches. bring the sandwich. I, and I know Wade also promised, pretty sure he promised the wall beat a couple of weeks ago. So we could he did. Uh, one, oh, really? one sounds a little, yeah, well, I think I said I'd eat it. I don't know why. And then I f- forgot, looked it up after. I was like, right, several patties, six chicken fingers, pierogies, between bread. There's a lot of stuff on there. But yeah, like the end piece of the baguette, my mom just this weekend said, save the end for me. And I thought that's funny. Like everybody has a spot in the loaf, right? Yeah. I don't like the end. I do like the end. Oh, you know the what? Sweet spot. Wade has brought the Wallbies in before. I think well, I wasn't there for that, was I? I don't. I don't know. I can't remember if you. This was. A, we're going back a, a ways here, but uh, there was enough food in one of those burgers to yeah. feed like twelve people. Yeah, it fed the entire newsroom. <laughs> yeah. I think for for a couple of meals, actually. Yeah, we just would sort of each take a layer <laughs> or a couple of uh, just like a, a chunk. Yeah, that thing was monstrous. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the Canadian and Manitoba Bar Associations, say they'll be looking into the actions of a group supporting multiple churches across Canada in court challenges against COVID-19 public health orders. And of course, Brett, the actions we are speaking of is the fact that the president of the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms admitted it hired a private investigator to follow a Manitoba judge presiding over that local challenge. And our next guest says all Canadians should be concerned about the implications of this group's actions. Bruce McFarlane is a lawyer in Winnipeg and former Deputy Justice Minister and Deputy former Deputy Attorney General and joins us now. Good morning, Bruce. Morning to everyone. So we want to get in on what you think the implications are, but you know, one of the questions we've been getting from listeners 
is this. A text just recently asked, if anyone can hire a PI, what's the problem? Nothing illegal. No one complained when it was done on our city workers. So what do you say about that? What is the problem here when it comes to hiring a private investigator to follow a judge? Well, there's nothing wrong with hiring a private investigator per se. It's the circumstances that make it dangerous and potentially illegal. Here you have a private investigator hired to follow a judge who's hearing your own case. Uh, The optics are terrible. It might be criminal conduct and certainly raises serious uh, ethical questions. This feels like something that would have been done back in the Al Capone days. I have to be honest, Mr. McFarland, when I hear this, it, it feels like pure and simple potential intimidation. Well, it's potential intimidation, and it's perhaps even more serious than that. Uh, you have a situation where the judge is hearing the case. Uh, there is uh, an issue in my mind of whether this person was in con- is in contempt of court. Uh, was the person also guilty of stalking an individual or intimidating an individual or obstructing justice? There's all sorts of questions in my mind about the potential criminal conduct on the part of this individual. So was anything illegal? Did anything illegal happen here? Well, I don't think we know one way or the other. You have to make sure you've got all your facts first. And the police are now investigating the cases, I understand it, and the law society is as well. So that's the first step, is to make sure that you nail the facts down and then make a decision after that. But it, uh, based on what I know so far, it either goes over the line or it's right up to the line. Bruce, uh, and our guest this morning again is former Deputy Justice Minister of Manitoba, Bruce McFarland. And, and Bruce, Greg referenced that Al Capone uh, reference there, and I was thinking, you know, of a bad John Grisham novel, and we've heard in the past, whether it be fiction or fact, you know, uh, private investigators maybe in the States following jurors or that kind of thing. That's the stuff out of movies. Have you ever heard of anything like this happening in, in real life in Canada? I've been practicing law for 45 years. I have never heard of anything like this in Canada, and I hope I never will. Hmm. So you had mentioned... Go ahead, Loren. I was just saying, Bruce, you mentioned that Canadians should be concerned. If there are people out there asking that question, what's the big deal? Like, What are the long-term implications of something like this? Is this precedent-setting? If we don't deal with it properly, does it sort of open the door for all other actions like this? Well, I think there's two prongs to your question. The first is the implications in terms of following judges. The second is uh, the public perception of what what took place. In terms of uh, it being a precedent-setting scenario, I agree that there has to be some consequences here. This is simply, well, it's outrageous conduct, simple as that. So there has to be some sort of consequences, either through the law society or through the criminal justice system. In terms of the broader public question, I think it's important to ensure that the public continues to have confidence in our judicial system. We have, in my view, uh, probably the best judicial system in the world, and I want to keep it that way. Uh, We have judges who are completely independent of just about everyone, certainly independent of government, independent of the parties in the individual cases, independent of the public. Uh, And that is why they are able to make tough decisions, because they are independent. So 
uh, the, the scenario here strikes at the very heart of that. It suggests to the average person that uh, if I sue someone, for instance, and I go to court and I've got a judge assigned to my case, and then I later find out that the party on the other side hired a private investigator to follow the judge around, I'm going to be asking questions about whether or not that was done to intimidate the judge, to find out something about the judge. Is that going to affect my case? Is the judge going to be compromised as a result of this? Those are all very, very serious questions, and it's for that reason that I return back to my initial comment that there has to be some sort of consequence here. Bruce, is it common for the Crown, for the province, for the judiciary to have to uh, make arrangements for witnesses to be protected in advance of a trial or after a trial? You hear about the witness protection program. How often is that used? And Crown attorneys and police officers, do, are they susceptible? Have they in the past been been victimized or threats a, a, against them leading up to, during, or following a, an important case? It's not common to have persons within the justice system the subject of threats. I know in my own case, when I was Deputy Minister of Justice, uh, I, was, I was fined. There was a couple of instances when I was threatened, and there was one instance where a litigant uh, somehow got a hold of my home address and went over to my home and uh, did some damage and and frighten my family. So it does happen, but uh, fortunately it's rare, and when it does happen, uh, we deal with it. Bruce McFarlane is a lawyer and former Deputy Justice Minister and Deputy Attorney General, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bruce, thank you very much for the time. Thank you for having me. And our question of the day at CJOB.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. A group fighting public health restrictions in court admitted it hired a private investigator to follow the Manitoba judge hearing the case. What's your take on this? Intimidation of a judge? Concerning action? Or not a big deal? Cast your vote. CJOB.com. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. In our next segment, we have an unbelievable story from Tracy on a time when your car failed you. Uh, because my car died yesterday, sitting in the parking lot, dead, needed a boost, had to wait for a while to get a tow truck to come out and give me a boost. I got it home with the dashboard lights flickering. Got it home. As soon as I turn it off, tried to turn it back on, won't start. So we're going to start by checking the battery today and then go from there, uh, hoping it's not the alternator. I don't want an expensive repair bill. So keep those texts coming for a chance to win $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. In the meantime, what are you hoping is next on the list of things to open up? That was the question of the day yesterday afternoon with a list of options like movie theaters, buffets, VLTs, religious services, and more. They all got a chunk of votes, but topping the list was wedding and funeral attendance at 31.13% of you hope we hear more this week on possible rule changes that would allow for more people to gather for a wedding or a funeral. And yesterday we received an email from a listener whose husband passed away earlier this year. Of course, our condolences go out to her and her family. She's just hoping to have his funeral soon. We know many of you are in that position. And we also know, Loren, that there are many of you that have put your weddings on hold. 
Yeah, whether that's that celebration of life for a funeral or just a celebration period, perhaps for an anniversary or that wedding, all of it has been kind of in flux for a solid 18 months now. And Joseph Forey and his fiance had planned to get married last month with a June 18th wedding date. And as that third wave rolled in the spring, they looked at the sort of tea leaves, read the tea leaves and said, no, we better push that back. And so now that wedding is planned for August. And Joseph joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So what do you currently have planned under, and you know, I should say congratulations first. A wedding's a big uh-huh. deal, so congratulations first for, to you and your fiancé. But what are the current plans under the current restrictions if nothing changes by August? Uh, well, we're, we're going to get married, uh, guests or no guests. Um, that's, that's the plan, and, and the plan, if we can't have any guests, is to put off the celebration of the union at a later date, hopefully around, we're thinking of a New Year's, Year's, New Year's Eve celebration. So, yeah, uh, we're hoping that, you know, the government will make some changes um, so that we can allow it uh, for family and, so, and some friends to, to attend and celebrate with us this union. You know, she is the girl of my dreams. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating time uh, when you're trying to plan something that's supposed to be joyous and, and so fun. It, it's, it's frustrating. You know, you're watching the numbers. You're watching the trends. It's, it's almost like playing the stock market. You make the investments, and you can hope at the end of it you get the, get the dividends of a, a joyous uh, event. So it's been frustrating. Um, outside, you know, being excited, <laughs> it's it's kind of a mixed emotion too. We're hoping that uh, you know the government will come out and uh, go with more of a percentage of venue as opposed to number of people. I know the last it's always been numbers, ten people, twenty five people, but. As we've been listening and watching businesses get, you know, 25% capacity, 50% capacity, we're hoping that they will give the venues that are hosting weddings that same numbers, you know, have 25% capacity or 50% capacity. Because you get a venue that has 125 people, and, you know, you can get 30 or 40 people in the venue and safely. So this is what we've been trying to plan around. We've capped out our guest list at 50. It could have easily went higher. Um, but we were capping it out at 50 in hopes that, you know, the government will go to a percentage to these venues. I really feel for the venues right now that, that are trying to help us. And, and the venue that we've been working with has really been, really been open to, you know, okay, well, we'll wait till see what the numbers are. We'll wait till see what the numbers are. So it's, it's been kind of a frustrating journey over this past. When we first started, when I first asked her to, in February, okay, we met June. And then, the, you know, the numbers took a dive and we went kind of went back into that semi-lockdown and we you know, so it's not going to happen. So we'll try for August and the vaccines rolled out and then we were hopeful. And so now, you know, we've, we've met those benchmarks as for what the government was for reopening. So we're really hoping that uh, they'll come out with a favorable number for us and, and for all the other ones that are trying to get married as well. Are you asking the vaccine question of your guests, or is it more that you just know they've been vaxxed because of how close you are to them? Uh, that, that's, yeah, we, we know. Like, I mean, it's mostly family and friends, and, you know, we're, we're putting it out there, you know. And so, like, the thing is, you know, on August 5th, we're going to be able to go to football games and, and present a vaccine card and a ticket. You know, and so why can't we kind of have to do the same thing for weddings and, and, and funerals as well? Um, these venues are large. And if we can't, if you can go to uh, a football game with a bunch of strangers, I, I, I trust my family and friends more so than I would some strangers, not to say anything against strangers or anything, but I know my families are vaccinated. They've been working with us. They've been letting us know, well, I've got my vaccine. I've got my vaccine. 
And we were thinking, like, you know, when you when you do a social or something, a liquor commission comes around and, and checks the liquor license and checks a few IDs to make sure everybody's, you know, not underage. Um, why can't public health do the same thing at some of these money? You know, like go out and check and see, okay, everybody's, all the protocols are being followed. And and let us celebrate. I mean, it's it's been a frustrating couple of years or 18 months already. And I, I bring back some sense of normalcy for the people that are trying to celebrate movements in their life. Joseph Forey, he's uh, waiting to, to marry the love of his life. And Joseph, I'll echo uh, Lorenz's sentiments. Congratulations to you. But Thank everything you. you've outlined here to me makes complete sense. It's a very reasonable approach. I, I think you've really put a lot of thought into this. I'm sorry that you've had to think about it for as long as you have, but just the whole idea of, of taking a reasonable approach and, and allowing some of these venues, or as you mentioned with a wedding social, you're, you're renting the venue and it's up to you to really, to a great extent, make sure that all the liquor laws are followed and that, that things are, are done according to the law. So why not uh, put some of that power into individuals' hands? And by all means, you want to come and inspect what's going on? Come on down. No, we've got nothing to hide. We're, we're, we're following the rules here, right? Absolutely. And it's, I really, my heart really feels for the venues because outside like a funeral process, uh, uh, funerals, um, the, the only people that hurt during funerals is, is the family because they're, they're limited at a cap number. Um, funeral costs haven't changed. They haven't gone down. So, so the funeral parlors don't really lose out on, on the cost of a funeral. It's the families that are going there to grieve the loss of their loved one. Whereas as a wedding and a celebration, it's on the venue and capped at 10. They need the people to attend in order to make the money. And so it, it, to me, as, as a business, you know, it just makes sense to go to the percentage as opposed to the people number. And, you know, the families have been, it's, this has been put on the backs of families of to have really hurt you this i feel anyway we we really suffered as the limitations of what we can do with our family and i think it's time now maybe you know we give a little bit back to the family and allow them to get some sense of normalcy and celebration in their life well i hope you get the news you're looking for this week joseph and i always like to throw out the offer that i could sing at your wedding so you let me know if that sounds <laughs> <Yeah>. interesting <laughs> Well, we might we might need a few songbirds. No, 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 so, no, yeah. Joseph, 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 do not entertain this. Do not go down this road. You've had enough issues here. You do not need this in your life. Do you notice how he hasn't told us the venue? He's deliberately keeping that from me, I think, just in case I show up. I, 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 I've seen the movie Wedding Crashers. So. <laughs> Greg and I will sit in the corner great. and make some uh, balloon bicycles for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, you know, we're getting married. And like I said, if we have to put off the celebration until when it's more open, we'll do so. And, and our family's been open to that. I mean, they've been wonderful. They've been patient. You know, um, and and when the day comes and they, and they understand that you know, as, as, you know, health orders don't allow it, you know, it's 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 just a frustrating time. But you know, we've been blessed with a great family and great friends, and they all understand. I just hope the government can you know open up a little bit and allow us that normalcy a little bit back in our lives. We we deserve it. We've worked hard. We've got the numbers up. You know, we're 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 adhering to the protocols. We're adhering to the to the uh, orders, and you know, it's it's time you know to give us a little bit back. Joseph Foury joining us live on 680 CJOB. The wedding has been pushed to August. Hopefully we'll get some better news for you in the next couple of days, Joseph. Okay, I hope so too. You guys have a great day.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just after 9.15, we're going to give away a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your stories on a time your car failed you, inspired by how my car failed me yesterday and it wouldn't start, just dead. Needed a boost, got it home, but there it sits in my parkade, now dead again. So I'm going to have to deal with that after work. Hip-hop, hooray to that. But uh, let's start us off with Tracy's. She took some time here to tell this story, so we appreciate all the time that you guys take when you share these stories uh, because it's one of the funnest parts of our day, honestly, is reading your stories. My car let me down, says Tracy, on a Saturday evening. After my daughters and I came back from dinner, they were in Fargo. I was driving a Cobalt, a tank when it came to gas, and a lemon in overall performance. Mr. Forte, would you concur with that assessment? You drove a Cobalt. Oh, no, I liked my Cobalt. <laughs> like, I, you know, it failed me Didn't once. Did it fail you, though? It oh, failed, just once. Yeah, okay. Well, it failed me once. You know, the, the, the belt broke on the alternator, but... Uh, you know, Do they make those cars anymore? No, no, the crews yep. replaced it, and now the cruise is on the way out. So there you go. So Tracy says, when we retu- returned from dinner and drove to the hotel, I tried to turn it off. The key would not turn to turn off. I tried, tried, would not work. I thought perhaps we could pack up and drive home, but it was now after 10, and the gas was less than half full. Did not want to risk running out of gas with two kids. I'd called roadside service, and the promised 24-hour service was not available until Monday The only advice I was given was to run out of gas and then fill up and drive home. The girls went to sleep in the hotel room, and the night clerk just kept her eye on me as I sat in a running car all night, had to deal with a drunk who wanted to show me how to turn off my car correctly. Just uh, think of a very bad word to finally get rid of him. Car finally ran out of gas, pushed it to the pump. I'm a five-foot woman. Went back to the hotel, loaded up, drove home, been in the car now 12 hours oh just as we leave to go home. Uh-huh. So got home and the car was still running. So my daughter and her friend drove around the neighborhood talking, catching up. They were pulled over by police because a slow-moving car in the neighborhood is suspicious. They were told to go home and sit in the driveway. <laughs> We must live in Sleepy Hollow. The next day, now Monday, I took the car to the garage. They wouldn't believe that it would not shut off. Got a courtesy car and went home. Uh, story's not over there, is it, Loren? No. So finally, Tracy says they did three, she did three days of research, and the problem was a recall. She says the garage was not standing behind that recall, so she adds you can imagine how that conversation went. Then she also went to the police station to actually report the officer who treated her 17-year-old daughter and friend poorly because they wouldn't believe that the car would not turn off, apparently until the officer actually checked himself and discovered, nope, that car is not turning off. Tracy adds, eventually they was fixed, but hey, the car was in a collision (laughs) a few months later, and she says, I did not miss that tank in my driveway. Ever. Oh, my word. Painted a pit. Why wouldn't it turn off? That is so odd. Yeah, that is uh, that is weird. And I, I've, well, and I mentioned that I had, like, when I was trying to start my car, I could turn it, and then the, the key was kind of getting stuck in there. I had to really work at it to, to get it out. And that's happened to me. One of our listeners suggesting maybe there's a problem with my ignition system. Mm. That's a pretty penny if I need to get that fixed. But I had a problem, I think, with my... Uh, with the mighty Taurus, I had all sorts of problems with that car, and one of them was the ignition, and the, like the key would get it would get stuck, and sometimes I couldn't 
couldn't start the car or I couldn't turn it off. It was uh, it was a nightmare. So cars, they're great when they work, but when they don't, ugh. I don't know that I can think of anything worse. I was conveying to you guys about the time I came home from Minidosa. I was up doing some work uh, at uh, my apartment building when I had it years ago, and it was cold. It was in the minus 30s, and mm. so I was driving home and uh, anxious to get home because it had been a very long day. And I got to Eli, and of course, there are traffic signals on the Trans-Canada Highway at Eli. Couldn't slow down for the for the 80 kilometer per hour zone. I'm panicked because I'm 30 kilometers from Headingley and my car is racing. Long story short, I've called Ford. They couldn't help me. I called my buddy. Hey, buddy, you know, you know lots about cars. I don't know, but this guy I'm working out with right now, he's a gearhead. And the guy said, gun it. I'm like, gun it? He says, yeah, gun it. Your throttle is frozen open. Put the pedal to the floor. And it worked. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. Otherwise, it was a frightening forty minutes or so. What speed so, did you uh, get up to? Oh, one thirty-five, one forty. Well, I mean, if you you probably didn't have to hold it down for long. No, no, but okay. uh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, oh, my hands are sweaty just <laughs> remembering it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. In our next segment, we will pick a winner for that $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your stories on a time that your car failed you. And this one's going to come right down to the wire because we're getting a lot of last-second stories on email. Loren just forwarded one from Brenda to us. I just sent the two of you guys uh, a story from Cindy. So we've got some stories to sift through and then feverishly and panic, quite in full panic mode, I'm sure, <laughs> come to a consensus as to who is our winner. So looking forward to that process in about 10 minutes' time. We'll give it away just after 9.15. I guess you could say we we need to take a vote on that. And as it turns out, voting gets underway today for the top job of the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. So current Grand Chief Arlen Dumas is seeking re-election, but both David Harper and Sheila North are also making their own bids. So three on the ballot. CJOB is working to get all three candidates on. But right now we want to speak with Sheila, former journalist, and in 2015 actually became the first woman to be elected as Grand Chief of MKO. Morning, Sheila. Good morning. We were talking about car troubles. I think you hit the road last night, if I'm not mistaken, based on your Twitter account. Where do we find you today? Because I know you've been crisscrossing the province. Yeah, I'm in uh, Portage or Prairie at the Urban Reserve for Long Plain First Nation called Kishkimakwa. So yeah. you're looking to get some votes, hoping to become Grand Chief. Why are you running for AMC? Well, first of all, the election is tomorrow. Today is speech day, um, so the voting will start tomorrow. Oh, but that's my mistake. Learning... Sorry, Sheila. I, no, I read no, that no. it's 13th to 15th, no so I just wondered. Okay, so speeches are today. You're making your speech, so you have to make your pitch today. <laughs> Why are you running? <clears throat> I want to run because I feel like we have such a great opportunity at this moment to capture the momentum of, of average Canadians who actually now understand and care what's going on with Indigenous people in this country. And I think many, many, many people, and, and when I was MKO Grand Chief and then in my run for AFN and, and in my work in the media, I've heard more and more cries and and calls by Indigenous leaders to uh, get to the point where we're running our own affairs. And so 
I feel like more Canadians are understanding that and we need to seize the moment. And I believe that uh, we have a lot of opportunity to create, uh, you know, the support sovereign nations that uh, that run, you know, that, that should run our, our affairs. Because right now the pandemic has proven that the government does a poor job in, in man- managing the lives of Indigenous people in Canada. Sheila, I think a lot of us are hopeful, uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous among us, that maybe we're at a crossroads here with regard to the relationship between uh, the Indigenous peoples of Canada and the rest of the country. What role does being chief of Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs uh, play in that building of relationships or or or, or making things uh, better for for the Indigenous peoples in our country and, and maybe all of Manitoba? Yes, I totally agree. And that's, that's the momentum that I'm feeling from average Canadians as well. And the role that I could play as a Grand Chief is to coordinate some of that momentum, create those partnerships and build those relationships with different levels of government and First Nations to achieve a greater level of understanding, but also within our own community. I think that we still have a lot of work to do within our own communities to build and enhance the capacity that's there. So we need uh, coordination of that as well. I think chiefs are doing an incredible job keeping their people safe, um, but I think we also need uh, an advocate to work with them and an organization that could do research um, on on number of issues and items to get you know us past the point of, of seeing Indigenous people living in poverty and, and other hardships. So I think, the, yeah, like I say, it's a great opportunity at this time. It feels like you know, even though with the pandemic has has been devastating to many people, it's also uh, shown a lot of uh, things that are not going right and and that they should be. And we have an opportunity to change that. We can't look away now. Sheila, you're also writing a book. Can you tell us a bit more about that? <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I finished writing it yesterday, and I felt like an elephant just stepped off my head. Um, it's been a long, grueling process, and the publishing company, Great Pub- Great Plains Publishing, uh, suggested I write a book. And I said, "What do you want me to write about?" And they said, "A memoir." I'm like, "I'm too young for a memoir," and but they said that they've seen some of the work that I've done over the years, and so. I agreed. I didn't know how daunting it would be. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like when I look at it now, I feel like the indigenous female Forrest Gump because there's so many names in there that I've come across. And I've, you know, in my time w- with um, my ex-husband and I went to the Grammys and met so many crazy, interesting people. And I met Gord Downey, for example, in my travels as a Grand Chief and and lots of brilliant people that that people will never hear about. So I was able to talk about that and, and my my first start when I was a young mom at 17 and living through an abusive relationship and, you know, all kinds of personal and professional information that I was able to put down on in uh, on paper. That sounds fascinating, Sheila. Look forward to, to reading more of your stories. Before we let you go, we, we should ask you about the role that, that you know, should you be elected Grand Chief of, of a Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs? What what role would you hope that you would have in terms of of conversations with the provincial government? Uh, Brian Pallister's uh, statement mm-hmm. last week uh, with regard to the replacement and, and uh, of the of the of the statues that were taken down uh, on Canada Day, what role would you hope to to play in that? 
decision and moving forward, your, your feelings on actions such as those? Right. Well, I still think that he has a long way to go in learning what it really means to be Indigenous these days and why we feel a certain way and how things came to be. I think that there's still a level of understanding and education that needs to be had there and and including ours. I don't understand a lot of his decision making and, you know, maybe if we create that level of understanding, we'll be able to move forward. But at this point, um, it's difficult. It's difficult for me to see eye to eye. Well, literally, too, because he's so tall. I stood by him one time for a picture when I was grad chief, and I barely make it over his waistline. So pretty uh, interesting picture. But we do have a long way to go in that level of understanding. And if he's truly interested in um, speaking and, and looking for solutions on what to do and go forward, he needs to also make that effort. And I think our people will as well, but in a respectful way. But I think there is a way forward. There is a way that we can honor the past and uh, and honor the ones that are not typically honored and that includes indigenous people and how do we do that we need to come up with a a plan that that works for for many people not just a few sheila Nora, thank you so much for joining us today we appreciate the time as always thank you very much i appreciate it sheila north is making a bid for the top job of the assembly of manitoba chiefs the election is Tomorrow, and as Loren pointed out, we are endeavoring to get the other two candidates on the air today, current Grand Chief Arlen Dumas and David Harper as well. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, you've made our jobs difficult and that's a good thing because we are still deliberating on who is going to win the $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. You're telling us some really... Amazing, hilarious, crazy stories about times that your car failed you. So we're going to declare the winner after Global News at 9.30. But I want to share a quick one here from Omer, who says, I drove a Pontiac Phoenix in the early 80s. It would act up on occasion. Couldn't figure out why. Well, it's because it was a Pontiac, Omer. Sorry to say, I was uh, I drove a Pontiac. <laughs> I know all, <laughs> I know all about that. Uh, so Omer says, I was going north on Osborne, and it stalled between the underpass and Confusion Corner. Listening to the radio as I, as I was waiting for a tow truck, guy on the radio says, "There's a stalled car on, car on Osborne," and I'm screaming to myself, <laughs> "Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I don't need to hear this." <laughs> I once phoned. Oh yeah, the weaker then. Sorry, sorry, Loren. You're still um, really trying to to get into that wedding, huh? (laughs) I feel like if I I keep uh, trying. About four years ago, sitting in the turning lane at uh, eastbound, westbound Chief Pegwis Trail at Gateway, and I get rear-ended by uh, a woman going about 85 kilometers per hour. And uh, after I called MPI so that they could arrange for a tow truck, my next call was to Tristan Field Jones because this was at about 3.30 in the afternoon, and I figured, oh, I'm going to be the cause of some major traffic tie-ups. I might as well call in the traffic tip. Uh, we weren't giving away pizza or anything at the time, but I, I should have qualified for the, the traffic tip of the week, uh, even though I was right in the middle of it. So uh, you got to keep your head about things uh, these times. But Paul Ormer, shut up, shut up, shut up. That's me. Don't, I don't, don't want to hear about it. Lots of I big actually, texts. My gosh. It- 
comes to the stalled car issue and, you know, the fact that that weaker than song talked about in the turning lane, someone stalled again. And I was like, does Winnipeg have more stalled cars in any other city? And I actually mm-hmm. reached out to CAA a few years ago and they gave me a whole spreadsheet. And I think the answer was no. Edmonton might have had more oh. calls by their note for stall per capita. I'd have to ask that question again because I remember moving back to Winnipeg and thinking, like, do we all just really cheap out in our cars here or not take care of them properly? Why are we all stalled all the time? Why? When I lived in Calgary, I used to love the fact that when there was a crash on the Deerfoot, that the that the DJs on the FM radio station that I listened to would take pleasure in going, yep, it's a green and white license plate. Meaning Saskatchewan. (laughs) Because there was a sense that Saskatchewanites were responsible for more than their fair share of stalls and crashes in that city. So who knows? There might be something to your uh, philosophy there, Mm. McNabb. When you drive a car that has issues with stalling, that that may be of all the problems I had with cars, that might have been the most stressful because you never knew when it was going to happen. Like if you had a car that overheated, you could see it happening and sort of take steps to try to get off the road or get back onto the road. Like I'd sit in a drive through and watching that temperature gauge crawl up, crawl up was stressful, but I could it's see it happening. Ready. The stall just bang, just yeah. decides it's going to die. And honking, like get yeah. out of the way, start the car. Like, yeah, I know. I know. Obviously <laughs> I would start the car if I could start I the car. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in a moment, we will declare the winner for the Santa Lucia Pizza $20 gift card. Usually we do that before 9.25, but uh, today the stories were, the the detail that you're putting into these stories today is next level. You've really stepped up your game, so we just had to say, you know what, we need a few more minutes here to make a decision. So we have come to our consensus, and we will share that winner in a moment. But before that, Lorena, are we getting an update today on uh, vaccine incentives in the Manitoba? Well, an update of sorts. People might have forgotten. I think it was late May, maybe early June. They all sort of blend together now some of these days. But we had heard from the Premier not too long ago about this vaccine lottery campaign. Remember that there's money on the table for people who get their vaccine. And so there's a draw coming up. I think it's August 2nd and then another one on September 6th and they want to get everybody to get those two doses. But then we didn't really hear much about it, how it's going to work, what's coming next. And so at 11 o'clock, we are going to hear from Manny Atwal. He is, of course, president and CEO of Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. And he's going to explain a little bit more about how this vaccine lottery campaign, the Vax to Win, they're calling, is going to work. And uh, then I guess we find out early August whether or not uh, someone we know, maybe someone... Maybe someone in this house, I don't know, wins, this, wins some of that money. I think it was a $100,000 is the top amount with different draws. I was just trying to look it up now because it honestly feels like we talked about it and then it sort of went away. And I was curious if that was what made more people sign up to get a vaccine, if that was worked as an incentive for others when it comes to the lottery option here in Manitoba. So we're going to get some more details about that uh, at 11 and we'll share them with our listeners when we can on CJOB. Now, to the contest. We have a few runners up here, and then we will read the winning story. Tim, one of the runners up, I mean, every text is a runner up, as far as I'm concerned. So many good stories. We just can't possibly read them all. Uh, Tim says, not my vehicle, but a customer of mine. A few years ago, I worked for a Honda as a service advisor. First thing in the morning, car comes into the drive, screeching to the high heavens. The young lady driving the vehicle was extremely embarrassed. All eyes were on her. It was 
deafening. I walked up to her window. She was beside herself. She said she, that this has never happened before. I looked past her. I looked back at her, told her that her handbrake was on. Needless to say, she turned 50 shades of Christmas. We put it on the hoist. Luckily for her, everything was tickety-boo, and I sent her on her way. Sometimes it's just something dumb, like you don't realize that you've... Like, I've driven with my uh, with yeah. the e-brake on. I'm wondering, like, what's going on with this car? And then I look down, and I see it sticking up, and I think, oh, you dummy. Well, the mm-hmm. ones that have the hand e-brake are just so satisfying to pull up. And that sometimes I'd put it on for no reason. You know, you're kind of in that bad mood and you get into a parking spot and you're like, get out of the car. And then it's, you know, you're not supposed to use them on flat surfaces, really. And then you get back and forget about it. It's happened to me for sure. And uh, it's like hanging up the, it's like hanging up the phone. I remember driving across the second narrows bridge in Vancouver and my MGB, my grandpa was following me. We went over the second narrows bridge and he's honking, honking away. Finally, at a, got caught up to me at a red light, and he jumps out, and he says, there's smoke coming out of the back of your brake. Check the emergency brake. Sure enough, I'd driven about oh, 10 boy. miles with this stupid thing on. Anyway, so I can relate to that one. That's why I was laughing. And I can relate to this one, too. Had a 66 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. This was in 1976. Went over a hump at Wellington and Wall. The fuel line popped off, and a coil sparked a fire oh, but he saw it and was standing next to the fire alarm do you remember when they used to have the fire alarm on the on the power poles well the engine uh, the fire engine was there in about three minutes minutes extinguished the fire put the hose clamp back on started up and drove away thanks to the big fire department for being that quick <laughs> that's oh a nice gosh. little car too i'm just looking at this car i never i don't think i may have probably seen it but i didn't know what it was by name that's a pretty sweet little ride Mm-hmm. There's a lot of car fires. We had a listener text in that he was at school at Brandon University, had a Mazda, the, had an accident sliding into a curb that bent the frame, and so he waited months to get the parts from Japan, finally got the parts in, says he's sitting in the cafeteria when someone yells there's a car fire, and he's eating away, like, huh, wonder what that's about, and then realized <laughs> the fire was in the vicinity of my car, goes to luck, sure enough, cars engulfed in flames, fire department's there, He'd maybe put 300 miles on it. Guess it wasn't meant to have the car, he texts, but the insurance claim was pretty goofy. I think they blamed the auto body shop in the end, but it seems like there's these random car fires. That's crazy. Wow. Uh, this one, in Lorenda, there's a story about a uh, Prius, I think, uh, in, the, in the script here. I'll get you to read that one because of the ending. I think it's uh, suitable for you. Uh, to read it, but uh, this one just came in a moment ago. My friend's two kids, 16 and 17, came to visit me at the cottage. They went one night to see the bears in an open garbage pit. The bears would come out of the bush side, down the side of the garbage dump, and eat garbage. It was entertaining to see what they would eat next. When they were ready to come back to the cottage, their old car was not starting. They managed to get a ride back after another bear watcher showed up. So back I go with a chain and the 16-year-old tried to talk him into leaving it until morning and daylight, but did not want to leave his first car with the bears overnight. So we show up at the dunk and the dump and there's a bear <laughs> sitting on the roof of the car. We had to honk several times before he sauntered off. 
his new toy. We can hear the bears growling and chewing their garbage. I say to the 16-year-old, you take the chain and hook up your car, and we will pull it out of here. He says, no way, you go. I say, guess your car stays here. So <laughs> the story gets cut <laughs> off. But can you imagine walking up to your car, Greg, and seeing a bear sitting on top of it? Like, what do you do? Uh, you do what this uh, listener did. Uh, your car, you hook up the chain, or it stays here overnight. That was a uh, perfect out, decision on the fly. You want it out of here? You're getting out of the car, Bubba. <laughs> All right, Sheila has a good one, and then we shall read our winner. Sheila's the, the ultimate runner-up here. Sheila texted, we bought a used 2005 Prius in 2009. We knew the cost of a new hybrid battery would be about $3,000, but we hoped it would pay for itself with the savings and gas. Well, we got an average of 55 miles per gallon in the summer, so we were happy. A few years later, the car started stalling off and on, and one day it just died. Had it towed to a Toyota dealer, and yep, it was the hybrid battery. Okay, there goes 3000 bucks. However, the warranty on the battery transferred with the car, and it was good for eight years. It was due to expire in one month. That was a close call. Ooh. Free hybrid battery. <laughs> Still going strong until last fall when I hit a deer. <laughs> Sheila, I feel ya. <laughs> Highway 200, I bet, eh? It's like the deer gauntlet. You got to run it. You just got to like, put blinders on and just go. <laughs> pretend like you can't even see them. You hit one, just roll the dice. <laughs> but uh, we, we did have a tough time picking a winner here, but we went with Brenda. Uh, Brenda sent us an email to Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, and Brett at CJOB.com. Greg, why don't you uh, tell us what Brenda I can start had to us say. out here. How about this? I'll, okay. I'll, 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 and then I'll throw it to you. I used, I used to own one of the uh, only Toyota Corolla Lemons. She says it's the one and only Toyota Corolla Lemon. My dad would agree with that. It was in the shop for the upteenth time when I was given a loaner. I was coming home from a walk in the forest with my dog, Lucky. Just before I turned left from Roblin onto Shaftesbury, the car stopped. Turns out the gas meter was fully faulty, so I didn't know I was running on empty. Called the shop to let them come get me, the car, and bring me a new lousy loner. LOL. Lucky and I sat on a bench in the shade and waited. My hood was up. My flashers were on. That's where it goes sideways, Brett. Waiting. Waiting, I call again. Turns out they were new, and they went to the other end of town. So I'm watching in the meantime as people carelessly maneuver around my car. I call again and tell them I have an appointment, and it's getting late. So I decide to do a little meditating while I wait. My eyes are closed. I'm in the zone, relaxing. All of a sudden, I hear a crash. <laughs> Someone drove into my car. I called the shop and said, what happened? Hurry up. As I'm speaking, another car crashes into that car i decided not to go there while everyone frantically chatted and exchanged info two emergency type guys on a bike showed up just before the third car crashed and then a fourth are you kidding me lmao i'm just sitting there watching omg and loren that's when a fire truck shows up now yeah, so Brenda stays put says i don't want to get involved and it's not my car anyway <laughs> plus since i was just there. quote walking i didn't bring my wallet or my license so the shop people finally show up i tell them they have to go deal with it 
give me the keys to the loaner because she wants to get out of there. She leaves before the police arrive and was afraid of not having my info on me, Brenda says. Maybe it's a ticket. I get to my apartment and by the appointment, and by the time I get home, there's a message to call police. I have to do the report anyway. LOL. Have an awesome day. Four car crashes. I think that's why. Like, are you supposed to? What's the rule there? When your car breaks down, right? You got to put your hazards on. Maybe she should invest in some of those orange triangles you, know, that you put out. <laughs> you're like, supposed like, to get, put your hood up too, I think. And That's some part flares. Of the get some flares going. Oh, flares yeah. would be fun. But if you don't like the vehicle, just set it. Just set it on fire. I was just trying to make sure I was <laughs> visible. <laughs> Brenda, congratulations. You're the winner of the $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Thanks to all for sharing your amazing stories. Uh, I know it sucks when the car fails you, but hopefully it's something you can look back on and either laugh or be thankful that you no longer drive, said Lemon, that once haunted your nightmares. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.